You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 16 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining us this month, we have a fantastic panel, as always. Um, first up, from the eastern coast of the United States, we have Antonio Rosario. Back. Hi, Antonio. Hello, Bart. Happy New Year, I think. Yes, indeed. Yes, Very yeah. best wishes for, 20, for 2015 to our listeners, not to 2015 for our listeners. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Thanks. Yes. Um, on the opposite side of the American continent, we're also joined by Mark Poli. Hi, Mark. Hi, Bart. Hi, guys. Hey, Mark. And then from my... They're all on my right side, if you look at a map. No, they're not. They're on my left. On the right side on the map, we have the wonderful Gazmas from the United Kingdom. Hi, Gaz. Good evening, uh, Guy. And I, uh, uh, Could you I was just call in... me Guy? I did, didn't I? That was a, that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bart. <laughs> well, you're already in, in, in the mental place for your next show. I know. I know. That's dreadful, isn't it? I was just going to say that last, last weekend I was in uh, your home country or your originating country. Oh. Take, taking some nice shots in, uh, in Ghent. Oh, well, Ghent is a beautiful city. Although I, I would say Ghent, but... Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the English mouth can't do that noise. It's quite no, funny. No. Uh, I hope you had some good beer and chocolate. Uh, of course. Good. Of course. Good. Uh, well, this, hopefully all of our listeners have had a wonderful Christmas, and perhaps, if you've been very lucky and very good, some new camera equipment may have come your way. And uh, this is why I thought it was perfect timing. So I think it was in the post-show after we recorded the December edition, Antonio said, Do you know, it doesn't actually matter what camera you have. There's like a certain core set of features you all have, and we should probably talk about that, because that if people know what their camera can do, they'll get more out of their camera. And I said, that's absolutely fantastic, and you couldn't have picked a better time to have a brainwave. So that's the topic for this week, this month's show. Um, I thought, thinking about how to lay this out, because it's potentially quite a um, meandering topic, I thought it might be worth sort of laying the ground rules and saying, well, what is a camera? And ultimately, what we have is a photosensitive surface, a lens, and in the case of all of our modern cameras, the photosensitive surface is a bunch of silicon, and a whole bunch of electrical circuitry, and a little computer, a little teeny tiny computer in there, and it tries to turn all that information on the electronics into some sort of sane image. And most of the time, what we're doing as uh, photographers these days is telling the computer what to do. And the most fundamental thing I learned in an entire degree of computer science is that computers are stupid. And so ultimately, what this is, is a battle of us trying to make the computer do what we want. It's a some it's a, uh, epic battle sometimes. Epic sometimes. <laughs> One for so, the ages. Ultimately, I guess the most fundamental theory is that there are three things we control. It's not really true, but it's a good simplification. So how much light gets in by changing the size of the hole it gets in through, or otherwise known as the f-stop, or the aperture. How long the light is hitting the photosensitive surface, otherwise known as the exposure time. And how sensitive that surface is to light in the first place, otherwise known as the ISO. And they're the three things we get to tinker with for the most part. So how much of that is done by the computer and how much of that is done by us is kind of what all this is about, isn't it? Um, so anyone want to add anything to that? Because maybe I'm being too simplistic. Well, I mean, those are the basic, you know, I'm thinking film days. Well, it's still true right? today, right? Yeah, but in my old film days, the only thing I had, um, you know, we had shutter speed, aperture, we had, and we had the uh, film, but I would want to add to that, you know, so maybe three and a half. Is so like three and a half? The, well, you said, yeah, I mean, yeah. the sensitivity of the sensor, but when we had the film days, you also had to choose the film that you would use to, based on the light that you were shooting in. So you would have, we only had daylight and what was called tungsten film. Daylight would be the film that you would use during the day. Tungsten you would use indoors. And they had different color balances. So I might add to the three that you mentioned, the half part would be the white balance. Yeah. Um, um, we do have control over that in the same way that we have control over shutter and aperture. Um, and the computer can have control over that. So I wanted to just throw that in. Gaz, you had something... 
Yeah, I, I might be in a, a little bit simplistic here and, and perhaps a bit basic, but mm-hmm. do we not have control over what we're taking a shot of as well? Yes, um, I believe that's where the art is. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but also, it, I mean, you, Antonio spoke about the, the film. Uh, once you've taken your shot and you've, you've got all of those controls, uh, and I know we're talking about the camera controls, and that's probably those three areas of the things we're going to be concentrating on, but you just mentioned the film, but also you've then got to think about how you're going to display and what you're going to be doing with the picture afterwards. You do, so, and you've also reminded me that... Uh, most of our modern cameras also have a zoom feature on the lens, so that's another thing we get to twiddle with. Yes, yes. Well, if you have a zoom lens and not a prime lens, of course, yes, yes absolutely. Or else we get to fiddle with it by changing the lens. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is a bit like controlling a white balance in the olden days. You just take the film out, put a different one in, change your white balance. I do like the digital age. It has many advantages. Um... I think probably, though, so we have this little computer that's trying to control our lives, and it's trying to do what's best, bless its little cotton socks. And in order to make the decision of what's best, it spends an awful lot of time calculating how much light there is and what is correct in its little mind. And that's often, I think, where the camera gets very, very, very confused with itself. So it thinks that... A certain amount of light is the correct amount of light for every photograph. I, I believe it's about 18% grey, although someone said something that was wrong about that. Those are the you figures are. that I've heard. That's certainly the figures that I've heard. Yeah, so actually a lot of the time when you're trying to take control of the computer, you need to convince it that actually it should measure light differently. And so I thought the first set of features we should focus on for this discussion is how to get the light meter to tell the camera stuff we want the camera to hear, if that makes any sense. Okay, so let me let me jump in with um, my rather simplistic view of just going using my camera and not being a professional at mm-hmm. all, going out and taking a straight shot. So one of the other choices, I suppose, which relates to that scenario is whether I'm going to do a little bit of spot metering or whether I'm going to take a wider arm and let the camera um, start metering over you know, many variants within the shot that I'm looking at, which I suppose takes me back to the original um, uh, extra that I added on there was we are controlling the shot that we're taking. So whether you're taking a wide landscape shot or whether you're zooming in and you actually want to get obviously the exposure for a particular area. And if you're, if you're deciding or letting the camera make those decisions, it will also change its metering mode and its processes according to whether you do a spot metering or whether you do you know take a, a wider view uh, antonio particularly correct me if i'm wrong in this assumption but i if you take pretty much any camera and set a little twiddly thing to auto it's going to jump to matrix mode isn't it probably i don't know any other i don't know any camera that's going to not go to a matrix because the matrix it's the most defaulty right yes and it's also the one that's connected most to the computer of the camera a lot of cameras have computer um computers that have stored tons and tons of exposures that the manufacturer has programmed into the camera so the only way for the camera's light meter to access that generally is to use the matrix metering or whatever it is on um whatever particular camera it's called um the other light meter functions generally as far as i know don't tap into any kind of computer program of previously stored exposures um an average meter is basically just looking at the scene and giving you an average of the amount of light that it sees and a spot meter is just focusing on a very small spot and giving you a light meter reading of that but the matrix is using you know i think nikon some Nikon cameras have like thirty to forty to fifty thousand exposures that the engineers had programmed in, and that matrix meter is going to sort of look at that and say, "How does this scene that I'm looking at in reality relate to this? Yeah. You know, the stored exposures that we have, and then try to give you the best exposure based on a history of exposures." So basically, it, it's using all of the sensors it has to to measure light across the whole screen, for want of a better description. And then it has a whole history of pictures that have been taken in the lab, or rather by the engineers. Or and it tries to yeah. sort of guess. It says, oh, I think this is a landscape, or I think this is a snow scene, or I think this is 
I don't know what I think, but right there's a maybe it's a percentage. You know, you have a green field and a blue sky, and you're you've shot you're shooting it right down the middle, so that the horizon's right down the middle, and it would say, oh, "Okay, I've seen this scene before, so I'm going to give you this exposure." Right. I, don't, I don't know if these cameras exist, but if you have a camera, if if somebody has a point and shoot that doesn't allow you to change the metering, is that probably what it's doing? Is a matrix metering, or is it probably doing something else? Well, a matrix is the only one that would make sense because if you're doing a spot or something, you're going to have really, really erratic results. Whereas if you just average the whole scene, on average, you're the most correct. Right. Because really, even if the camera isn't doing the guessing against other scenes, on average, if the whole image together is at the appropriate level of brightness of about 18% grey, it's probably fine on average. Where things go completely, totally, utterly wrong is when you're not in an average situation. So your, your ideal situation is obviously to have a nice, steady, overcast sky. Well, no. when you've got when, when, when you've got when you've got lots of sunshine and lots of clouds coming in, that's when your decision making process will change. Well, not even something is. That's probably still okay. Where things really go south is if you imagine you're in a woodland path and you look through a clearing <laughs> out into a beautiful landscape. So you're in complete or pretty darkness because it's summer and there's leaves yeah. on the trees. Yeah. And so the difference between the edge and the middle is just huge. Or a cave looking out or a house looking out at the street. That, that's just so far from average. And that's, usually, that's, that's the biggest one, isn't it? When you've got a window, a background window, and people yes. try and take a, a shot of someone in the window. And if you have your camera set to average, the result is that nothing is right. Because yeah. the stuff that's dark has been averaged up and it's still too dark. And the stuff that's bright has been averaged down, but it's still too bright. And so your whole scene is just garbage. There is nothing useful in that entire scene. And that's the point where you need to say, okay, Mr. Camera, don't average the whole lot. I am going to take a little bit of control back. And then you start to play with your spot or your center weighted. And is there, do Canon use different words or am I being pretty generic there? I think that's right. I th- I th- that's my yeah. understanding of it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I use Sony, and they, they use center-weighted and multi-segment and uh, spot. So. And so Multi, the, multi-segment sounds like the matrix metering yeah. for uh, yeah. Nikon. Yeah. That makes that does that word sounds like it means that. Yeah. Actually, for some reason, on the Nikon's, the icon for matrix metering looks like a SIM card for a phone. Can someone explain that to me? No, I can't explain a lot of things that Nikon does. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it's always as much as I love them. Yeah, I mean they make nice cameras and all, but the icons are sometimes a bit odd. That that one. Yeah, I think I think Nikon's are designed by engineers. Possibly because actually I'm not. I I the I'm icon, not trying to be I'm, again. I'm not bad mouthing that. I think I think I think Canon cameras. I heard someone say Canon cameras are designed by photographers, and and Nikon cameras are designed by engineers. That would make sense. Yeah. Oh no, I get it. I think. It's is all that a of the icons moment? put together, right? So the icon for a spot meter is one full stop in the middle of the screen. Right, the, a dot. Yeah, the icon for center weighted, which is you average the middle area of the screen. So you're still averaging, but you're averaging over just the middle instead of averaging over everything. And that looks like a dot with two little circles around it. Round bracket, yeah. 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 And then yeah. the matrix meter is basically measure everywhere is the same thing with just the corners filled in too. And it yeah. looks like a SIM card. So I th- okay, so it now makes sense. And I'm going to put my camera back, which should be, which is center-weighted, where, some, where mine lives forever. Um, center-weighted is, is really a throwback to original um, camera meters that were um, powered by not electricity, but photosensitive material. Uh, and they just sort of read everything that was being um, fed into the uh, mirror, because the, the, the light meter would be in the in the place where the viewfinder was. And so we just sort of measure everything. And so that's sort of a throwback to the old days. Can, uh, can I be Alison here, Bart? Oh, please, please. I think she'd ask you, why do you keep it in center-weighted? Ah, okay. Because it's a happy medium. Uh, so if you have it in spot metering, it's looking at a very, very tiny area and trying to make that be 18% grey. And if you're, you imagine like a building or something, if you're on the white walls, then your exposure's all off. If you're on the black front door, your exposure's all off. And so it's very easy to knock it off if you put a, cent- a spot onto something that's not 18% grey. Whereas the center weighted is still a, an average, so it still mushes everything together. 
but it just ignores the edges of the frame. So if you like to frame things between some tree leaves or whatever, and you want the outside to go dark, then centre-weighted tends to just give you what you want without having to think about it. So obviously if you have a zoom camera, uh, that centre-weighted portion could change dramatically according to how much you're zooming in on a subject. Uh, Not the proportion of the field of view, but the physical size of the thing would. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking image uh, image that I'm taking. You know, the 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 product that I'm taking, not obviously the actual, um, yeah, as you said, the 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 actual proportion of the lens or the field of view, but it's it's of the object that you're taking the picture of. Okay. Let me ask. Let, okay. I just heard. I just heard that. Let me ask again if I understood. So, I I have my camera, and I don't. Whichever way it makes easier to answer the question. I don't know what metering mode I'm in, but. I have my camera with a zoom lens. It's How can the, you not the, know? It, no, no, I'm saying oh, right. to, in this question, I, it, it oh, doesn't okay. matter to the question. So I have, and I have a lens on there. It's an 18 to 250. Mm-hmm. If I'm in, if it's at 18, so it's wide, mm-hmm. lots of stuff in the image, uh, and then I go down to 200 or 250, it's now very narrow, close mm-hmm. up on something in the distance how does that affect the metering is it is the metering based upon what the lens is seeing or is it just based upon whatever's in front of me it's based on the image after it comes through the lens so it's actually happening okay. so it is whatever the so so how i how i where my lens is focused is going to affect the metering yeah so what you see through the view screen imagine a circle in the middle of your field of view and that circle is what's being averaged over right okay and so as you zoom in, that circle, you know, if you're at a, at 12 millimeter, that circle might cover four city blocks. And then as you zoom right the way into 250 millimeters, that same circle might cover a window. So what I think, so what I think Gaz was saying was that the, the meter, that maybe even the choice of what we, the choice of metering that we use might be affected even by maybe how zoomed we are to something. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. Uh, I would say what affects it is how much variation there is across your scene and whether you could, yeah, what you want to do right. with that yes. variation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but but if I zoom in on something the variation might be very small but if I'm back in a wide angle the variation could be very great. Yes, that's true. Cause, yeah, cuz actually the more you zoom in it tends to make everything more samey. And Antonio, you 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 put bread on the table with this kind of stuff. Are are we giving sensible advice? By liking center weighted, um, that's. I'm not going to say you're not giving sensitive advice. I just think, like, you know, I grew up using older cameras, you know, in the average meters, and through the time, I've been using more and more complex cameras, and they're adding these matrix modes for a reason to make my life supposedly a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but what comes from with me is a lot of experience. So I like to shoot with the matrix metering or the automated metering on the camera more often. And I use my experience to decide whether or not it's giving me good advice. Um, so you, you I, ask the I, camera's advice and then decide whether or not you agree. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, every camera is going to have a different way of metering. I mean, each brand, I know that's even within the same brand um, – camera different models will meter differently <laughs> so for instance early earlier nikon digital cameras tended to meter a little bit more towards the darker side um to av- so the people would avoid overexposing um but the more professional model might not do that so anyway i would you know every camera is going to meter Differently, I like to use as many automated features as possible other than when I shoot in manual, but I like to have the, the camera do some of the lifting for me because why not? Um, you know, I'm not shooting film with average meters. I'd say I'm in the same boat, Antonio. I, but but I, part, of the, part, of the answer, part of the question regarding whether I'm shooting wide or shooting zoomed, since I do so much landscape and most of it is wide, I tend to do matrix metering and not bother with it. But, not bother with changing out the metering, and right. I trust the I trust the camera. I think I realize why mine is at that setting, and it's because it doesn't do it. If you have it at center weighted, it won't mess up your landscapes. But if you don't have it at center weighted, what I really like to do, and I'm doing macro shots of stuff like butterflies, 
is I try to find a situation where the butterfly is in sunlight but the background is dark. And I don't want the camera to muck up that contrast. And so what I was finding is if I was matrix metering, I was it was trying to make my dark background I wanted dark. The camera said, well, I know what you want better than you do. And it was trying to make it bright again. And so I clicked the camera into that and it lets me do those macros and it just never messed anything else up. And so I've never changed it. See, what I would do in similar situations is that, again, based on my experience of having maybe shot that scene over and over again, I might automatically say, well, I'm going to override whatever the camera gives me by a stop because my my brain is telling me, yeah, I've shot this before and it's always been over, underexposed and so I'm going, to, I'm going to override somewhat. I'm going to let the camera give me an initial setting, but I'm going to, you know say, well, I want it, uh, you know, a plus a stop, plus two stops. I'm going to lighten the exposure. You have just yeah? given me the absolute perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you couldn't have done that any better. Okay. So we have our three settings for our metering mode. And so that is going to tell the camera, you know, they're going to let the camera decide what is the correct exposure value based on math. So 18% gray is always good. But sometimes we actually want to tell the camera that, yeah, I know you think 18% gray is good, but actually it's not. In this case, I want you to consider good to be brighter than that or darker than that. And that's called, and this has lots of names and lots of different uh, manufacturers, exposure bias, exposure compensation. Exposure compensation seems to be the most prevalent, and it seems to make more. You're compensating for the exposure. Or you're biasing the meter. See, exposure yeah. bias actually makes the most sense to me as a physicist. But, but we're photographers. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so <laughs> those phrases are synonymous. And I'm trying to think, is there another one? You might see EV plus minus as the icon for it. EV is exposure value, yeah. Plus, plus or minus a certain number, usually up to three. Uh, broken up into thirds. So there's three uh, clicks. clicks until you get to... An EV of one um, and a three clicks, so you, uh, two more clicks until you get to an EV of two and, and, and so on. Um, and and, and that, is, that is a fairly standard uh, measure across most camera manufacturers, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah, like the, to call the, them the stops. The stop has become the standard, even though it's a weird unit. Yeah. What is it? The Same. stop. <laughs> well, the stop is, it's, we've used that forever in yeah. photography. We have F stops which is the aperture. Um, shutter is also considered stops when you're changing for exposure. So you might say, I'm going to change it to stops in shutter speed, meaning that you're going to um, turn that dial uh, so that you have two stops difference, like an EV of plus or minus two. Um, and EVs are also considered stops. And you can also talk about um, ISO in terms of stops as well. So yeah. I, I know I've said this on a previous have, show, but it's have, worth saying again. All of the controls in your camera for those three big settings, every like those clicks look arbitrary, right? You go from 1 over 125 to 1 over 240 and all these kind of weird jumps. They're weird, but they're really important because every click is equivalent. So if I take the aperture and I click it one way to the left, and I take my exposure and I click it one way to the right, the actual result is identical. It's just that I've gotten there through different settings. So the amount of light is the same. And if I take my, say, if, if I take my, say, ISO and I click it three times, that's one stop. And then I open my aperture by three clicks, that's one stop. I haven't changed anything there. It's still the same result. You know, you know, Tom and I, in our switch to manual classes, we talk about the balancing of shutter. Well, let's just use shutter and, mm-hmm. and aperture as sort of like a teeter-totter, like a seesaw. Okay. So as you go up in one direction, the other one has to go down. And you end up creating this balance um, with exposure, they end up all being the same. But if you picture a teeter totter with the thing with the um, person on the left all the way down and the person on the right up, that's the same exposure as if you did it the other way around. So, yes. And then, okay. So to get back to our compensation, so on average, a scene eighteen percent gray looks right to the human eye, and then you bring your camera outside and it's snowing. 18% gray does not look right in snow. 18% gray looks like the snow is very, very mucky. It just looks wrong. It's underexposed. 
So if you go out in the snow, you have to tell your camera, that, I know that you think 18% grey is correct. In this case, the reality differs from you. Therefore, you should now consider one more stop than that to be correct. And so you're just changing what is correct, and then the camera's auto mode will adjust everything else to deal with this new reality of, oh, you want it brighter than I would have normally done. Okay, I'll take your command and go that way. Or at dusk, you probably want it to look dusky instead of trying to average it back up, and then it'll look all horrible. And so at dusk, you might turn it the other way and say, let it get darker, because I want that darker look. And so that's why you would use that exposure compensation. Can I propose something to our audience and everybody else? For is an experiment I did in school a long time ago. Take a white cardboard, mm-hmm. piece of cardboard, just put some lights on it, and take a black piece of cardboard, put some lights right. on it. And take your camera and take the meter reading off the white board. Mm-hmm. Don't do any exposure compensation. Just take a picture of it mm-hmm. with whatever the meter tells you it's going to be. Okay. Right on the whiteboard. Then move over to the blackboard and take a picture of it using what the camera meter is going to tell you. When you look at those two pictures, they'll be exactly the same color, the same brightness. They'll be this 18% gray. Yeah. One, you know, there'll be different exposures, obviously, to get to those places because white is giving off more light, reflecting more light, so the camera has to let less light in, and the black is absorbing a lot of light, so you have to let more light into the camera. But when you look at those two right next to each other, they should be exactly the same. And if you want to make those pictures not the same, you have to bias the camera and say, look, this scene is much darker than you think it is, so you've got to adjust your metering, and then you'll be able to make it go to black, and the white, you adjust it the other way and make it go to white. Right. And this is where your experience comes into play. I mean, a lot of people will pick up a camera and say, well, why can't it just take a picture for me? Why have to think about this stuff? But, you know, like you said earlier, Bart, it's a computer and it's not very smart. It does a lot of things for us and does some of the heavy lifting, but we're still in control. We still need to make those decisions. And so you, you walk into a, you see a polar bear in the snow and you, you're, you take a picture and you're like, why is it so dark? He's like, well, brain, kick in. It's white. It's bright. It's letting just even use your you know imagination. Like you said, it's my. I have to squint when I'm looking at that scene on, with my own eyes. So I have to let less light into my eyes. The you need to use that experience to override what the camera is doing. We can't just let the camera take over. So with experience, I this would I think you'll you start to learn exposure compensation sort of by instinct. You can look at the scene that you're in and and say, okay, I know that I need to compensate plus or minus. If if you're less experienced or haven't quite got that instinct yet, what can I do or you know, what what are the signs that uh, I mean, we have the advantage of being able to look on the screen and see the picture that we just took or whatever. Um if I'm let's say I look at the picture what do I see and how do I know which way I want to compensate? So, And I don't know, I'm going to guess. If the picture looks pretty dark, I want to try to compensate up? Mm, yes. Is that Yes, that's it exactly. So th- if you want the picture to be brighter, positive exposure compensation. If you want it to be darker, negative exposure compensation. He says, and now I'm not sure. <laughs> and 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 the other way, the, so one way might be to look just at the look, look at the picture on the screen, and and it looks dark. So I decide I'm going to compensate up, uh, assuming that I don't maybe change one of the other adjustments. Just talking mm-hmm. exposure compensation right now. I look at it and I say, okay, I'm going to compensate up. Is there is that also true if I was to look at the histogram? If the histogram was uh, stacked way to the left or the darks, that would mean exposure compensation is a plus to okay, get it. I've just done a test here. <laughs> Live on air. On Nikons, plus means darker because that's just how Nikon roll. Oh. No. Yes, I, I just took a shot with. Let me just check the settings here. So I now have an exposure compensation dialed in of plus. Oh, no, I don't. It's minus one. No, minus. It's. <laughs> but it's to the right, which my brain said was positive. Okay. Okay, no, the, the labeling is right. The direction is maybe not what one would expect. Okay. Sorry. On air correct. Yes, no, it's plus and minus, and it's it's been like that. Um, also, in the film days, um, the more as the cameras became more automatic and the meters became automatic, we we had exposure compensation for a long time. And in a film camera, it wouldn't adjust the ISO of the film, obviously, because the film was locked. But it would adjust your shutter speed or aperture depending on what mode you're in. So if you were, let's say, you're shooting in. 
aperture priority mode or um, aperture value if you're a Canon user AV, your exposure compensation would change the shutter speed for you because you were controlling the aperture. Um, right. And vice versa, if you're shooting in shutter priority, the compensation would change the aperture. Exposure com- We should mention exposure compensation me- is meaningless if you're shooting in manual mode because you're uh, controlling both the aperture and the shutter speed. So, actually, actually, it's not. No, not right. entirely meaningless. No, because if you have your camera yeah. set to do auto ISO, it will actually change the ISO of the camera. But let's say you don't do that. Well, to me, that's still not full manual if you have it on auto ISO. But Why? what I do so, want to mention before we move off of uh, wait, 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 wait. Why? Why is it? Well, because then the just chill jiggling around the exposure value on you. The resultant exposure is being messed with by the cameras, so it's not manual. If I don't control all three legs of the stool, if one of the three legs of my stool is moving up and down of its own accord, I'm not right, in charge yet. Not fully manual. I agree. Okay. Anyway, um, so the light meter is not fully useless in full manual mode because you can still read it. So if you take your dial and you twiddle it from you know one of the non-manual modes into manual... The light meter on any camera I've ever used then starts to display in your heads-up display as basically zero in the middle and then plus and minus shown on each side. And as you dial the, 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 you know, the aperture and the shutter speed and the ISO, you can watch the meter move t- closer to or further away from the middle. And so basically when it's at the middle, the camera thinks this is the right exposure. Now you may think better, but it's very useful to get yourself in the ballpark is to notice that light meter is in your field of view as you're looking through the viewfinder. And it's also, if you flip up the mirror, it should, you should also be able to have access to it. So that, that's, you know, you can see what the camera would do if you let it be in charge, even though you're not letting it be in charge. So it's still useful feedback. And, you know, going back to the exposure value for a second, a lot of cameras have it in different places. Um, yes. but it's one of the, it's one of the functions of your camera that I think you should know, like when you pick up the manual for your camera, read, if you're going to read anything, read about where that exposure value control is. Some of, sometimes it's in a menu and sometimes you have to press a few buttons. Um, the nice thing is I've got the, I've got the new Fuji, um, X 100 T. Um, a lot of the new Fuji X cameras, they, they have all the control. A lot of the controls are on the top of the camera. Mm-hmm. And they have a very, very nice exposure compensation dial right where my thumb is. And believe me, I use that dial all the time. And it's, and it's there. It's not hidden in a menu. It's a physical dial. So when I'm shooting, I just have to look down and I can go plus or minus whatever I want very fast. So it's a, it's a, it's a button that I'm using more often on all my cameras than pretty much anything. It's probably, yeah. yeah, I would agree 110% that the first setting you have to find in the manual is how you do that. So on the Nikons, it's you hold down the plus minus button and then twiddle the thumb thingy at the back. The, the only other thing that I would just sort of a word of warning, this is from my own experience, mm-hmm. that depending on the camera, uh, make sh- sometimes the flash compensation looks similar to the exposure, comp- exposure compensation and you make, sh- make sure you know which one you're doing. Because oh, yes. on the on my Canon DSLR, the flash compensation looks a similar sort of thing in the menu. I mean, it's different, and if you know, it's it's not like you're going to, you know, easily make the mistake. But they're similar enough that, um, you know, it it's it it would be it it would be a mistake that you could make if you weren't paying attention. Yes. Also. I- Oh, sorry. One other thing as a reminder. So once you engage that exposure compensation on most cameras, it stays that way. Yes. When you turn the camera on and off. And so you might do a plus two exposure value on a shot, and then you turn the camera off, and then you go back to shoot something else, and all of a sudden you take a shot, and everything's overexposed by two stops, and you can't figure out why. Double check your exposure compensation dial and get it back to normal. Yes. Get it back to zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 one of those actually those habits I have before I leave to go shooting is I always turn on the camera and make sure all that kind of stuff is is zeroed out. Um, I want to move us on because uh, I notice that we have a, a bit of a deadline because uh, uh, some of us are podcasting on two podcasts in one day. Brave someone. Um, so I want to move on to the other big 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 thing. So great, we've managed to 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 uh, figure out how to get the camera to figure out how much light it should use, but. Uh, the, probably the biggest difference between a photograph that's a keeper and a photograph that's for the bin is whether or not the bloody thing is in focus. 
and uh, understanding all of the different ways in which our camera can uh, help or hinder, depending on uh, whether we're working for the same goal, is through the control of the very, very many different focus modes. And the newer your camera is, or the more expensive your camera is, the more options there will be in this menu. Um, Speaking from personal experience, something that my Nikon's do by default that really drives me nuts is that their default mode is I'll focus on whatever's closest. And so you're trying to focus through, say, a nice framing shot of some of a, of a hedgerow or something, and the camera says, well, that hedge is much closer than that lovely landscape in the background. I'll focus on the hedge. And no matter what you do, it keeps going back to the bloody hedge because the setting says focus on whatever's closest. And so watch out for that one. So, so the question is, Bart, what is the advantage of having, I mean, on the options that I've got, I've got a wide autofocus area or a zoned focus area or a spot or a local. Now, for the listeners, I always leave mine on spot because I want to tell it where I want it to focus. So what would be the advantage from some of the other members of the team who are perhaps a little bit more experienced in possibly using these different zones as to why you would use one over the other? Uh, Antonio, do you want to take this one? Sorry, I'm trying to. Well, you know, a list of options out of my camera. So, if I was going to say one thing on on you know these cameras that give me agita is is the autofocus modes, um, Nikon especially. I mean, I've got a book somewhere in here on my. Uh, what camera is it? My D2X. Some guy wrote, and he wrote a whole chapter on the focus modes. Um, mm. And it's one of those things that just drives me nuts why it chooses to do one or the other. I tend, as a default on most of my cameras, do a spot focusing um, on, on cameras with lenses that I can um, change. On my uh, fixed focus camera lens, like my Fuji X100T, I, I do leave it on the, uh, the zone focus um, for the style of photography I'm doing. But I tend to do spot because I kind of know it. I know I can put that spot on the thing I want to focus, hold down the button to lock the focus, and then just slide my my frame to wherever I want. Um, but there are so many different modes. There's the single servo focus. There's continuous focus. There's manual focus. And then all those combined with the different ways the camera can help you. Um, well, I was going to say continuous versus auto actually I was going to come back to because that's slightly different. Right, but you combine those with the other ways that you're where you're telling the camera to focus on, and you've started to yeah, create um, a headache. Well, yeah, so there's basically the focus settings fall into two categories. There's how often I should focus, or rather when I should focus, and how I should focus. And so I'm... Well, and let, let me actually... I was thinking we started this conversation really with the question of where should I focus? So we're talking focus points. That would be the, well, the little see, red, the little red points dot. Points only come into play in some modes. Well, right. But, but I, I think that you're, we're still, at least as I'm hearing it, we're still mixing two conversations. One of them being, where do I focus? Uh, and you're talking about shooting from the center or whatever. And then talking about the focus modes, whether it's one shot or continuous or whatever that, that's it's they're different conversations, different issues. Well, okay, so the the whether or not you single or, or not is is the when to focus. So we'll come to that in a minute. But the the first bit is on what to focus, and so the easiest one to understand, and in my humble opinion, the easiest one to use is just a single point because where you put the point, that'll be in focus. Good day, and like Antonio, you know, you, you use it all the time. I use it all the time. Everyone on the panel, or do people sometimes? It very often depends on what what I'm shooting and how I'm shooting. Um, again, if it's just a wide landscape with lots of open space in front of me, it almost kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> but because uh, um, it's going to be in focus. Yeah. Um, but if I have, if I'm, you know, if there's a tree or a plant or something close to f- for for framing, then I got to be careful about where I'm focusing, whether I want to be focusing on that or focusing out. So I, I might change the might change the setting based on that. So look, looking no, through... Sorry, the, you know, we need a sports photographer on this panel. Well, I was going to say... So I, I'm <laughs> just talk gonna, about things that are moving because... Well, right, I'm so, shooting, I shoot eagles and, and things like that, and that's where the, the different 
the different modes make a difference for me too. So looking through the menu on my camera here, so the one that I spend my entire life in is single point autofocus, very straightforward. The next one down is called dynamic area autofocus, and what that means is if it's moving, I should focus on it, which is probably spectacularly useful if you have a bunch of footballers running around in front of you or birds flying around or something. And then the next one down is, as far as I can tell, the same basic idea, only... No, it's not, sorry. It's 3D tracking mode, where you point it at something, and then it's going to follow that something as long as it can figure out where that something is going. Which I guess is if... That's probably useful for sports as well, isn't it? So you pick a player, and then as long as he's in the field of view and the camera's computer can keep up with him, it'll focus in and out to follow that particular blob around. So that's 3D mode, which I've never used, but I'm sure it's great. See, Mark, this is – sorry, I don't want to – because it's going to drive me crazy. I don't agree that the two things are different conversations. I think they're actually part of the same conversation. We can talk about them separately, but for instance, you know, if you're shooting, let's say, a sports, you know, or or an animal coming at you, you do have the option to do a single shot, single servo mode, means the, the camera will focus at one point and then you can take the picture. But if this thing is coming at you and you want to keep taking pictures, if you do a single servo mode, you're going to get one picture that's in focus, where the camera first focuses, and everything's going to be out of focus as this thing moves closer to you. So, And the modes, the different focus modes, will look at the subject in the frame and try to figure out, use the computer of the camera to try to figure out where this thing is moving and try to predict the focus for you. So I think those two things do have to come into play because we're not all shooting things that are sitting still. Yeah. Things move closer towards us. It's it's one thing if they're moving across, because they say mm-hmm. they t- tend to stay the same distance from you. Yeah. But if something's coming at you or something's running away from you, you need to work with these different, um, you know, continuous focus modes or single focus modes. And, and actually, Antonio, to prove your point completely, if you change the the setting we haven't talked about yet, the amount of options available in the area in the in the focus mode change. So if you set single servo, you get way less options because it doesn't make sense to have a 3D tracking mode if you, take, right. if you autofocus once. How can you track something singularly? Right. So you need to have it at continuous in order to be able to do some of these things. So I guess you're right. They are completely related. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, that again, I think when you get a new camera and depending on what you're going to do with it, it's one of the things I would want to study about how this camera focuses because part of... You know, the frustration of taking pictures is like you like, hey, like, look at the scene. I shot it and it's it's not in focus. What's the ca- something wrong with the camera? No, it's just you need to figure out what the camera is doing and what its priorities are. And every camera manufacturer does something different to the way. I mean, it's sort of like a closely guarded secret in how their computers and the cameras tend to predict focus and, 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 and do all this kind of stuff. And that's why I recommend spending a lot of time. And you usually don't get that from the manuals. The manuals don't tell you no, anything no. about how these things focus. You got to get on to the, you know, people's experience. You got to find the the extra little, you know, missing manuals that people write about these focus modes, and it can get really kind of overwhelming. And that's where I get my agita from because sometimes, like every, even within, like I said, I've got two different Nikon's, and they'll they'll focus differently. You know, once you figure out one, does it mean does it it works for the other model? And right now, I'm having a heck of a time trying to figure out my new Fuji how it focuses. It's giving me, you know, I haven't I haven't um, interpreted its focusing style yet, and and it's something that I want to spend some time with. So, you know, we got to learn these things. It's it's definitely one of the, the sections in the manual that will make your head explode the most, because it tends to be written in this really weird language that makes no sense if you go onto the internet and ask someone to explain it to you. Just to say, so your your choices are basically you, so when you half press the shutter your camera focuses. So does it focus once on the, when you half press and then stay at that focus until you follow through and take the shot? Or when you half press does it continuously keep changing the focus until the very last second when you push the whole way through? And that's the difference between single and servo. Which in Nikon land they call it. A- can you not? Can you not say? Are you are you asking the question whether our cameras do that or whether? No, no, that's a setting. Because, yeah, right, that's so, absolutely. That's a, absolutely. So the setting is for a. So in Nikon land they call 
AFS means single servo. So in other words, when I half press, I focus once and I am now done focusing. Yep. And AFC is continuous servo, yep. which is yep. I press and I keep focusing until you fire the shutter. And then Nikon yep. confused matters by having a third setting called AFA, which means let the camera decide whether to do one or the other. Right. And, and and I'll give you Canon. So Canon calls it one shot. That's that's assuming the thing is going to not move and mm-hmm. sit still, and you're you're going to lock in. The uh, AI servo is the continuous focus, and that is it'll it'll continuously focus until you finish. And Canon also has the third setting, which is AI focus, uh, which is automatic autofocus, and that that'll allow it to change or move between single shot and servo depending on what happens in the scene. And that's the default. Yes, and that's in Nikon land, AFA is also the default. May I also add that uh, with both brand cameras or any brand cameras, they're also um, the focus is altered by the lenses as well because some lenses will have extra motors to speed up the focus. And Oh, okay. You know, so depending on what kind of lens you have, too, all the these options become a little bit more tricky to deal with. Um, on my Fuji, the um, Fujis that I've got, the X cameras, they've got continuous, single, and manual. That's it. Continuous, single. That, that's very. So you don't have an auto, It's you don't have that third option of automatic autofocus, which no, no. which will no. fluctuate between single and servo. Yeah, no, no it's just. Uh, there's a little switch on the outside, and you just switch between those three modes. Is that is it uh, is the automatic autofocus the for me the AI focus for the Nikon AFA is that a common thing or is that a Canon Nikon thing? You 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 just said your Fuji doesn't have it, so I'm are are we the outliers or uh, uh, this this the Sony that I've got here has got AFS AFA AFC for obvious okay. single automatic and continuous but obviously there's this, there's a button on the side which I can go to manual mode as well which is just manual focus in other words dear computer yep. none of that I'll take care of it yes uh, folks this has actually been quite a fun discussion uh, but I'm going to draw a line under it but I'm going to say we'll take this up next month because there's a lot more meat on this topic um, so for now I'm going to call it quits but we'll pick it up from here a month from now and carry on with another show so Thank you very much to the panelists for giving up of their time. Always appreciate it. Um, Also, a big thank you to our listeners who contribute to the show through either the PayPal button, which is over at lets-talk.ie, or the Patreon support, which is also over at lets-talk.ie. Now, I have a little um, request for people. If you've been on the fence about whether or not to sign up to support the show, could I please ask you to get off the fence, and I'll tell you why. Our charming friends in the European Union have decided that if I buy something from not Europe, I should pay the VAT rate of my home country. I live in Ireland, and our VAT rate is 23%. Which means all of my hosting bills, when this new law came into effect in January 1, have gone up by a quarter. And so while I was very happy that the show was getting close to breaking even, it's now gotten 25% worse. So if, you know, if you're on the fence, please, I could do with a little more help. Uh, and, of course, a very big thank you to everyone who already supports the show. It is very much appreciated. Uh, panelists, let's... Uh, I was going to... I always try to do it in reverse order, and then I forget what order I went in. Um, Gaz, I think. Correct, yes. Um, well, you can find me as Gazmaz on the Twitters. Um, I also do a podcast, which is a Mac-orientated podcast, uh, which isn't that serious, I've got to say. Don't expect uh, a, a lot of highbrow uh, intelligent information. It's more... Uh, two guys having a lot of fun, uh, which is the My Mac podcast, uh, which I w- will be recording after the show. Um, I occasionally put my pictures up on um, gasmas.com as well. Um, I do enjoy generally landscape photography, but uh, there are one or two uh, um, red arrows, which for the uninitiated are uh, some uh, an aero, aero display team over here in the UK. Um, and so Formula this- One, if memory serves. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There's a few Formula Ones there as well, but uh, yes, I enjoy I enjoy taking shots. But uh, as you probably uh, noticed, it's very much on the amateur side. Uh, do you enjoy it? I do. Enjoy That's all that matters. It. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, I think you were next. 
Yeah, so I am at twinlakesimages.com. That's my portfolio site. I do some blogging there. Not as not as much as I should, but I occasionally write something. And uh, also have a calendar of all the diff- the exhibitions and shows that I'm doing, uh, which that season is picking up again this year. Um, I am SwitcherMark on Twitter. I think I'm SwitcherMark or Mark Pauly on Flickr. I can't remember which. Thank <laughs> so, you, SwitcherMark. There you well, go. Actually, I think so. Right. I'll take this opportunity. So everyone who's on any panel ever on this show, there's a page at netslashtope.ie called Panelists, and everyone's Flickr is linked from there. So anyway, that that's where you can see my work. Thanks, and thanks for linking the uh, linking those things, Bart. Hey, no worries. And finally, Antonio. Well, you can find me in all sorts of places. Um, amrosario.com is my regular website where I just want to plug. I just put up a pretty extensive review of the new. Fuji X100T, which I think is getting a lot of traction. Uh, I just wrote it in, as a like, photographer's point of view, so um, check it out. You can also find me uh, on Twitter at amrosario and um, also at switchtomanual.com where Tom Martinez and I, who are Tom's on the show sometimes, we have a little photo school where we try to teach people how to shoot manually with their cameras. Um, so we're on Twitter at switch the number two manual, and uh, like I said, you can find us both on uh, Flickr as well. Excellent. And uh, I've been your host Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. On the MyMag.com podcast. And how could they contact you, Gaz? (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't speak Parrot, that's Gaz at MyMag.com, G-A-Z at MyMag.com, and you can also reach him on the Twitters at twitter.com forward slash gazmez, G-A-Z, M-A-Z, and we have a combined Twitter account, which is twitter.com forward slash guy and gaz, G-U-I-A-N-D-G-A-Z. <laughs> and if, if you wanted to let Fearless Leader know that you don't speak Parrot, you can let him know that by sending an email to feedback at MyMac.com, no Zed. You're listening to the G-Men.